every bullpen in the American Conference does. But a, a huge win for ECU. And with two games left, the Pirates finally control their own destiny again, Jonathan. Yeah, and it feels like it's been a long time coming that stuff is finally starting to go ECU's way. I think after a heartbreaker really on Tuesday against Clemson, you come in, you really play good baseball. You get down early against uh, last night, and you came back, you scored some runs, and Danny Beal came in and did exactly what Danny Beal needed to do and then some, and you finally got some help, and it couldn't have come in a perfect time. Scott, we, as always, had our text thread going, and uh, you know we were saying as soon as the ECU game went final, all attention goes to Cincinnati. I think they immediately blew a 3 nothing lead after that. I then got up big and then <laughs> tried to blow it. But uh, finally, it, it just feels good, it, you know, as somebody who's been following the CCU team, for, to see them finally have things in their own hands again. I mean, certainly they have to go out and complete the mission. But uh, I know there was at least a little bit of nervousness in the late innings last night as Houston kept getting guys on. Yeah, I think it was the bottom of the eighth, and Houston had the bases loaded and a big bat up, and you're just like, oh, no, not again. But finally get to control our own destiny you know it doesn't matter what houston does the rest of the way it's on us to win the rest of our games if we win both of our games we're conference champions um for the fifth straight year or something like that so yeah um you know just go out and do it we got some schedule changes for the next two games so hopefully we can adjust to that and finish strong yeah we might as well go ahead and address that so five o'clock the first pitch tonight you can hear it on 94.3 the game of course scott rogers gary overton on the trip down to florida as well he had post game with cliff goblin and uh, danny bill last night so check that out tonight if you can't watch the live stream on espn and then uh saturday's game the season finale the regular season finale has been moved up to 10 30 a.m um and so that's a major change as that was originally scheduled for one i believe so We'll know early in the day, if we don't know by the end of tonight, if ECU is going to be hoisting the conference championship or not, a regular season edition. Again, they can clinch tonight if ECU wins uh, at Cincinnati this evening and Houston loses again to, or excuse me, if ECU wins at USF and, and, and Cincinnati wins at Houston, that would give ECU the regular season uh, crown. So, can wrap it up tonight, but ECU needs to take care of business, I think. I don't know if we can count on Cincinnati uh, to win another one. What do you think, Jonathan? It, although somebody said uh, John Monroe says Cincy is going to sweep. I don't know if we can count on that. I don't think you can really count on anything in the American, just since it feels like every weekend. you Sometimes it feels like you just throw it at a wall and some stuff sticks and some stuff doesn't. But, you know, like, like we said, now ECU con- controls their own destiny, so you have to win your own baseball games and – you hope that Cincinnati does, and I think Cincinnati matches up pretty well there against Houston. So, man, I hope they do, but at this point, I'm not banking on anything in the American because it's been just so unpredictable. Ryan Nicholson with the Grand Slam, Max Bergman with the, uh, I believe, the save. So those two guys, owed Beers in Greenville, if you can wrap this thing up. And uh, Jay Searle says, did he say Clemson? Did I say something about Clemson? Or did I say Clemson um, when I said Campbell, referencing to Tuesday? Uh, I you might may have. have. Well. Either well, way, I've just seen too many orange teams this yeah. week. So <laughs> there's a lot. We'll talk maybe Clemson later because that could be a potential postseason destination for ECU if the Pirates are on the road for a regional. Before we get into that discussion, guys, I want to just talk a little bit more about the game last night. And Danny Bill, man, this guy has been an unsung hero really for most of the year. But I feel like the last few weeks, Scott, he has been phenomenal. You know, he, he he's kind of had that stopper role where he'll come in and get out of a jam. He can go multiple innings. How valuable has Danny Beal been? And, and last night goes six and a third shutout ball. 
Yeah, he's kind of taken some of that fireman role that um, Spivey had last year where you just put him in in key situations and he delivers time and time again. Um, you know, he didn't start last night, but he, he effectively started a game when you can go six innings and be that effective um, and just really shut him down to give us time to get to their bullpen and have a big inning because that was a really clean game that had been played up until, I think, the eighth inning when uh, Hoover hits the ball to short and the shortstop kind of kicks it into the outfield. But, you know, I think I texted you guys. I was ready to compliment USF on how well of a game they had played <laughs> until that point. And then you, shortly after that, it just it just all went downhill. But, um, yeah, I mean, Danny, Bill, you can't say enough about how great of a performance that was to just come in and, and get us to the late innings where we could take over. And Carter Cunningham last night offensively with a huge night, three for five, two RBIs, two runs scored. He has gone from, you know, who was really a fourth outfielder at times this year. Him and Riley Johnson have kind of been switching back and forth with that role. Both those guys played a big role in last night's game. But Cunningham, to me, the biggest difference, he's been hitting the fastball lately. He's always been able to hit off speed, but he's he was on the fastball last night, uh, doubled off the wall, doubled down the line after the error to kind of put the game away. Jonathan Carter Cunningham's been big. He was moved up in the order last night. That didn't seem to affect him at all. So how how big do you think Carter's been? Man, at this time of the year, you need guys like Carter Cunningham to step up. You know, early in the year when Jacob Jenkins Cowart kind of went down to injury, you know, guys got opportunities, Carter Cunningham especially. And really since then, he's kind of run with it. He's hitting a two-hole, he's hitting a nine-hole, bottom of the order pretty much everywhere. And wherever you put him, for the most part, he's come through. Even if he's not going three for five with two runs batted in like he did last night, you know, he's had a lot of good at bats, getting on base, good base runner, and a, for the most part, a good defender, too. And I think his versatility to kind of do anything you need him to is so valuable right now, especially, you know, last night, JJC going to left field for the first time, I believe, ever. And so Cunningham holding down that right field spot has been valuable. His bat's been valuable as injuries have kind of raved through the team. So. Carter Cunningham, Danny Beal deserves a lot of credit, but Carter Cunningham's right there with him in terms of kind of unsung heroes of the season so far. And EC was again down last night, three nothing, and um, pretty poor start to be quite honest. Like they just seemed, kind of seemed out of it. South Florida came out, and they were all over Zach Root's fastball. I noticed that they took Root out of the game, and obviously Danny Beal. I mean, he threw he, you know he threw what seventy something pitches. I mean, he had to throw 40, 50 breaking balls. He threw a ton of off speed. South Florida really seemed to struggle with that aspect of things. You got to wonder if going into tonight, obviously with Josh Groves on the mound, he's got a good fastball, but how much does he rely on his slider and changeup? And then Trey Savage on Saturday as well. They seem to be able to hit the fastball, but ECU's ability to answer three in the fourth, took the lead in the fifth on Josh Moreland's double, and then four in the eighth to really put the game away. They manufactured that run, you know, the leadoff infield single, Riley Johnson. He's still second. Nowak moves him to third. Sack fly, Alec Makarevich. That was kind of classic ECU baseball. And then ECU comes alive for four runs in the frame. Scott, do we feel we got to talk about Josh Moreland getting hit? I, I felt like that was incredibly intentional. Uh, you saw it, right? Do you think the same? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't often miss that far in into into someone's backside, and it's not on purpose, but. Um, I would advise uh, South Florida to to not um, upset Josh Moyland because I think Campbell upset him a little bit and yeah. he hit one over the scoreboard. So um, we'll see how that plays out today and tomorrow. All right, guys, expectations for the next two games in this series. USF used its 
basically it's it's top two starters. Uh, I think it was Hunter Mink out of the bullpen. They have two Minks, so I get them mixed up. But either way, the one that's who, who started a lot of games, he followed up Jack Siebert, and they used those two guys essentially piggybacking them with the conference tournament because you got to look at it from USF's perspective. They don't really have a, a reason outside of seeding to, to play these games to win. I mean, they are gearing up for the conference tournament. So they kept their guys on limited pitch counts, used both their guys who lead the team in innings pitched. And so EC won that game with essentially kind of a midweek staff game. Obviously, Danny Bill played a big role in that, but Zach Root. Now you've got your two weekend starters going and grows and you savage. Uh, Jonathan, how do you feel about these next two games on paper? ECU is the favorite. Do you feel like they get it done? Uh, I feel I feel pretty good, and a lot of that does have to do with Danny Beal because the pitching situation right now is, you know, Josh Gross and Trey Savage are staying on their normal day's rest in terms of day of the week, but I think having those two guys pitching this weekend and then having pretty much your entire bullpen available because, like you said, you know, this game, these games might not matter to USF because they are playing for the conference tournament, but they do matter to ECU. So having your full bullpen available, if Josh Gross comes out and he gives you four and that's all he can give you tonight, then that's fine. You can come out with essentially anybody but Danny Beal, and I think that's so valuable right now. And USF, on the other hand, you know, I think you just have to hit and get to the bullpen because, again, they don't really have a lot to play for. So if you can get offense early and continue getting deeper and deeper into their bullpen then I think ECU's in a really good shape both on both sides of the plate yeah Danny Bill he threw 29 pinches on Tuesday and then what 76 last night or something like that so he's done for the weekend and, and you know should be back for the the conference tournament open on Tuesday I've got the box scored pulled up from Tuesday's Campbell game Sailor threw 57 pitches he probably would not be available until Saturday but Wyatt Lunsford-Shinkman only threw 13. Uh, Jake Hunter only threw 22. Uh, you could bring back Tyler Bratz or Eric Ritchie. Carter Spivey is kind of in that. Could go either way. He threw 30 pitches on Tuesday. He could probably come back and throw tonight, but it sounds like he didn't feel great on uh, on, on Tuesday's game, but yet still pitched. So, Scott, what, what's your thoughts on, obviously, Josh Gross getting the start tonight? You want to see him go four, five, six innings if possible, but – what are you kind of expecting out of the bullpen tonight if it's a close game? Right, and it goes back to Bill being able to extend um, his outing for so long and, and have a full bullpen available. But, you know, when we look at these next six games or potentially six games that we might play between uh, USF and the conference tournament, I would describe them as six elimination games um, as far as being able to host. And so I think it's all hands on deck. Uh, you want Rose to go as far as he can, and then you know if it's close, you got to back it up with you know Spivey or Shinkman or whoever it might be that gives you the best chance to win. Yeah, I feel like we're going to see an extended Shinkman outing at some point uh, the next two days with just 13 pitches thrown on Tuesday, and, and you're laying again only through the one inning last night, so he could come back if needed. He threw 17 pitches Tuesday. Maybe you ideally want to save him for Saturday, but I think ECU's in a good spot here, and a lot of that. Again, goes back to, to Danny Beal and just how good of a job he did. All right, let's get our first break in. On the other side, we'll get into that hosting discussion because ECU went from being down 3 nothing and the season being over to winning the game, being back in the driver's seat for a conference championship and being in the hosting discussion. So we'll talk about that, where ECU stands, and a whole lot more. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Here there be pirates. Back to hoist the colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this? On 94.3 The Game. 
right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is our ECU baseball roundtable discussion. You can hear us on the Hoist the Colors podcast every Monday night at 9 o'clock. We'll have that for you coming up on the HTC podcast live on Facebook and YouTube Monday night at 9. Right now, we're live on YouTube on 94.3 The Game. Drop your comments on YouTube. Drop them on Facebook. We'll get to them. You can kind of help guide the show if you want to do that. If not, we'll we'll guide the show for you. And let's get into uh, before I tell you what. Before we dive into the hosting discussion, Jonathan Wagner is fresh off a trip to Camden Camden Yards to see the Angels and the Orioles, and you got to see East Carolina legend Mike Trout Homer. Did he Homer twice? He did. He did Homer games? twice. Yeah. So how was that experience? It was awesome, man. We went up um, on Wednesday. We left Wednesday morning, went to the 6 o'clock game, and that was a really cool experience. We saw Mike Trout. We saw Shohei Itani. Just just seeing them in person was kind of a you know a surreal experience. Right. Just like those are two of the greatest players of this generation, you know, and just seeing them in person, seeing them so close, and then seeing Trout homer on Wednesday night, and then Thursday, Trout and Otani homered, and Adley Rushman ended up homering too. We ended up leaving before then just so we could hit the traffic, beat the traffic. But it was a really cool experience. And I mean, even someone like Zach Nito too for the Angels. Shortstop for Campbell. He had a home run in Clark Clark Stadium right about this time last year, probably to the dot. And then I come out and I see him warming up with Mike Trout and Shohei. And so that was a really cool experience. And I'm a baseball nerd. I'm a baseball nut. I love seeing baseball, even if it's teams I don't root for. I'm a Nationals fan. So. Went a little further north, but it was definitely an awesome experience. Yeah, I almost I about texted you. You almost got the full Angels experience. You got to see uh, Trout and Otani Homer and see them lose twice, but they did come back and win the second game. So, uh, but they still almost gave you the full Angels experience. Uh, and, and then you stayed up till two a.m. watching the Hurricanes, which we don't talk a lot of hockey on this show. But I went to sleep at like. I don't even know, 11-something, and the game was in the first or going through the second overtime. And it was still going when I got up two different times to feed my baby. Yeah, so. man. I mean, I think I we left Camden Yards at about 2.15. We were on the road by about 2.30 by the time we get gas. And I got back right at 8.30. It took six hours to make that drive with all the traffic. And then I come home, and the second I walk in my apartment, the Canes score their first goal. And it just – kept going and man i needed some sleep I, I still need some sleep because that was a long drive and it takes a lot out of you but man it was just a surreal day honestly well appreciate you coming in and unfortunately you can't sleep in too late tomorrow because you got to watch ecu baseball at 10 30 uh as that'll be the, the new time for the series finale on saturday all right let's get into this hosting discussion and scott we were kind of joking last night um you know, the, obviously the the three nothing, or maybe it was this morning, but either way, the three nothing start ECU. If they basically if they lose the game, they're almost eliminated because of the RPI hit they're going to take. But now, all of a sudden, with the comeback mixed with the Cincinnati win at Houston, and we've kind of always said if ECU could win the regular season title, and we can talk about the need for a conference tournament on top of that. But I think it starts with winning the regular season. Now ECU finally has that back in play. How much do you feel like that elevates ECU back into the true hosting mix? Oh, we're right there in in the mix for the you know 15, 16 seed. Um, we also got some help. Uh, Notre Dame beating Boston College um, being one of those games. Uh, UConn finally lost a close game to a bad team um, after you know coming back to beat Butler three straight games last weekend. Uh, and Campbell lost as well, um, took an RPI hit. 
So right there, I think we're at 20. If you look on Warren Nolan's site, I think it shows 19, but they've already given Boston College a loss for their game that has not yet started today. Um, th- that'll get started in about 10 minutes. So that's, that's one for Pirate Nation to keep an eye on is uh, Notre Dame at Boston College. If Boston College loses that game, I think they're kind of removed from the hosting conversation. And the more teams that get removed, the more availability there is for, for us to get in, even you know that our, our, RPI, excuse me, our RPI is at uh, 20 right now. Maybe we can get it to 18 or even back into the 16 range. Yeah, I feel like ECU, and you said it best earlier, Scott, like every game from a hosting perspective is almost an elimination game at this point. And maybe for a conference championship too. So those two things go hand in hand. I think with ECU's inability to close out Campbell, to me going four and six versus top 50 versus five and five is a pretty substantial difference. And going 0 and three against Campbell hurts you. So I feel like to make up for that, you have to win the regular season and the conference tournament and have a probably a top, definitely a top 20 RPI. But if you do all that, you should be around top 16. And if you do all that, Jonathan, I feel like it's going to be very hard to keep ECU out of hosting. Again, that is a lot to accomplish, and there will be other teams in play. But if you're the committee, that would give ECU 45 wins, regular season title, postseason title. I don't know if you can say no to that. No, and it's crazy, and I I like to reference just last year a, a lot with where this team was out of the tournament picture altogether, and they ended up being a top eight seed. So when I look at the potential for forty five wins this season, it's hard to imagine that not being a top sixteen. And I think I'll say I've been kind of a little bit of a pessimist. I think regarding the hosting chances over the past couple of weeks, but I don't know. This morning maybe it's the exhaustion, but I kind of woke up and I thought, you know, I, I think they have a shot if they can win the regular season, win the conference tournament, and obviously you're going to need help. You're at the time of the year where you're, you're scoreboard watching pretty much every day and every second of every day. And it all depends on what the other teams around you do. But in the end of it, in the end, it comes down to what the committee thinks of ECU. And ECU has established itself as a brand, a power brand in college baseball. And I think that will help. It certainly won't hurt, even if it doesn't play into the discussion. And so ECU's right there. And at this point, it's going to be tough to deny them if they take care of their business. So, Scott, I'm interested because I've seen a couple comments that say, hey, we want Duke to sweep Miami now. Is that – do you agree with that philosophy? Because for those that aren't following, basically Duke and Miami are both in the hosting mix. And to me, I think if Miami wins the next two, that almost knocks Duke back out of the hosting mix. And we were talking off air earlier, Scott, that maybe the worst-case scenario is Duke winning two out of three. Uh, what's kind of your vibe on that and how that could affect maybe these last few hosting spots? For sure. I think you want to get a clear picture out of this weekend between those two teams where only one is really in the hosting conversation. So since Duke has already won, um, it may be more beneficial for them to sweep Miami at home. That gives Miami, uh, you know, a, a being swept at home, even though Duke is a really good team, it really hurts you at the, the back end of your resume. And then it, it would probably put Duke back into the top eight conversation, if we're being honest. Um, which, you know, if something happens where we don't host, maybe we're the two seed in Durham, um, against a, an eighth seeded Duke or a ninth seeded Duke, which is a lot more favorable than the two seed in Wake Forest or, you know, the two seed further down the road. So a lot of the times when we're looking at these games, it's not so much 
whether or not it helps ECU host, it's where ECU goes if they don't host. Because the last thing we want to do is end up being, you know, the best two seed and end up at Oregon State or something like that. Because I think that would be, you know, a lot harder on uh, the fans to get to the game, a lot harder, harder on the players who've already not, you know, had the best travel experience throughout the season anyway. And the, the the last few hosting spots differentiated so much between D1 Baseball and Baseball America. We can talk about that in a second. We do have a question on YouTube from Newton Smith. He says, how does Campbell losing last night hurt or help us in the RPI? Um, so Campbell had jumped East Carolina. I think they entered the weekend at 19, or this, this final series at 19. And ECU was, what, 21-22. And by virtue of uh, ECU's win at South Florida, which really didn't – move the needle too much but at least kept ECU where they were and Campbell losing at USC Upstate ECU surged to 20 Campbell fell to 22 and so that's kind of the scenario now but Campbell Scott winning that USC Upstate if they come back and win the two games they're probably going to jump back into the top 20 right as far as RPI like those oh, yeah, are two would, quality wins yeah they would um I think they would probably be around that 18, 19 range. Yeah. Um, so definitely could use Campbell dropping another game there to kind of solidify that. Um, another kind of similar situation is Western Kentucky and Dallas Baptist. Western Kentucky won at Dallas Baptist yesterday, um, knocked Dallas Baptist about five spots back. If they drop another game to Western Kentucky, then they're going to slide a lot. And then, um, another game that's going to get started here in about an hour and a half is Marshall at Coastal Carolina. They'll play a doubleheader today. Uh, Coastal will lose 17 points for a win against Marshall, and they would lose 70 points with a loss for either one of the games. So, you know, Coastal is a team that looks like they're well on that in that hosting line right now, but you lose two out of three to Marshall, and you're outside of the top 25 in RPI more than likely. Yeah, and I, I think too the the dark horse host team that nobody's really talking about is Southern Miss. I mean, they're the Sun Belt's a good league, and they're twenty one and seven in the Sun Belt, and they're also seven seven versus top fifty teams with a twenty four RPI. I feel like they could be a team that sneaks back into the mix if an East Carolina or Dallas Baptist falter. Um, we also should talk about the Big Twelve situation because Oklahoma State has kind of surged back into the top twenty. Jonathan and West Virginia has uh, is also in that mix. You know, what's your take there? Do you feel like the Big 12 ends up getting two hosts if Oklahoma State takes this series at Oklahoma, or is there a chance, you know, West Virginia falls out if Oklahoma State moves in? To, to me, in my eyes, I think West Virginia is locked in, and I would probably have them as a top eight if it ended – going into yesterday, I would have had them as a top eight. But I think the interesting thing with Oklahoma State is kind of the regional aspect of where the hosts project right now. There's a lot of teams, you know – right in the Carolinas and the in Virginia area and there's not really a lot of teams out west there's Stanford and that's about it maybe Oregon State but then I look at the Texas area and that kind of extreme south you know there's right now if Dallas Baptist falls out there's no host in Texas because I don't think Texas is going to do it even if they come in and have success this weekend against West Virginia which they did win last night but so if Dallas Baptist falls out does a Southern Miss does an Oklahoma State come in there and then you kind of get that Texas area host. And they say that doesn't matter. But I think in the end, you know, it might. And I think that's why I'm, I don't think Campbell hosts personally. I just think there's too many teams in, right in the Carolinas that are in that discussion. So 
you know that could play in, uh, play a factor into it too. But I think Oklahoma State has a good chance for that reason. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pulling up the projections for uh, the latest re- regional projections. I'll try to find Baseball America in a minute, but. Baseball, Baseball America, and this was released Wednesday now, they had Dallas Baptist and Indiana State hosting as their last two teams. D1 Baseball, they don't have either one of those teams hosting. They have Miami as the 13 seed, Oklahoma State hosting as the 14, Duke as the 15, and Oregon State as the 16. And we kind of have joked about this. Oregon State, guys, is 32nd in their RPI, just 6-5 and five versus top 50. They're playing Western Carolina this weekend, so that RPI is not going to go up. You know, if you want to host, in my opinion, don't schedule Coppin State and Western Carolina as your non-conference series. Their their non-conference strength of schedule is two thirty three. Like I don't get this big hang up with hey, let's reward Oregon State just because they're in the Pac twelve uh, with a thirty second RPI. So they have Oregon State as their projected host. I couldn't disagree more with that. But what's your take on that, Scott? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, in sports. Oftentimes we want to throw labels on things. You know, who's the greatest of all time? Who's a dynasty? Who's a, a major market team? And then in college sports, it's, well, they're in the power five, right? So they play good teams week in and week out, which is not really always the case. And especially in the Pac-12 where it's really top heavy with Stanford and then Washington, oh, excuse me, Washington is a pretty good team. Oregon State is a pretty good team, but I don't know that they're, far and away above anybody else in the conversation. And if you look historically, teams outside of the top 25 in RPI do not host, um, whether they're on the West Coast or not. And, you know, I, I saw something that said that, well, the RPI doesn't favor West Coast teams because there's just less options of people to play. But they flew out a team from Maryland and a team from um, – Western North Carolina to play in their stadium. Surely there's better options than that. You know, UC Irvine's there, uh, Cal State Fullerton. Those are teams that they could maybe have gotten in on a weekend that I'm sure would have loved to play them. Even Portland is a better team than that, who they lost to uh, on Tuesday. So, you know, I think the committee oftentimes does look at strength of schedule, especially non-conference strength of schedule, as something you can control. I think it hurt NC State last year when they didn't schedule very well. Uh, and I would say that I find it very unlikely that Oregon State hosts at this point. ECU, by the way, 12 non-conference strength of schedule. And I think that's a, a number that the committee always favors. If you have a top 25 non-conference strength of schedule, I think if you're on that borderline, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. You know, like Boston College in the hosting mix, they, they hurt themselves losing to Notre Dame. We talked about that earlier, keep an eye on those scores. But they have a 218 non-conference strength of schedule. I think that's going to hurt them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Indiana State, guys. 22-3 and three in the Missouri Valley. They have the third toughest non-conference strength of schedule in the country, but they're just 2-9 and nine against top 50. So to me, Scott, how do you handicap Indiana, State resume, Indiana State's resume, Dallas Baptist versus ECU versus maybe even Southern Miss and Campbell. Like I, I feel like one of those, if not two of those teams, is going to end up hosting. I just don't think the the committee is going to allow all these ACC, Pac twelve, you know, power teams to host. Like I feel like one of those teams is going to get a chance to host. Oh, I agree. And if you look at Indiana State, you know they played a lot of really good teams. They have a difficult strength of schedule, but they didn't win any of them. And then you compare that to to ECU. And, you know, we've played, I think, 10 top 50 teams. All of those teams are in the top 30. They're not just top 50 teams. And we played seven one-run games amongst 
those 10 um, games, and we went 2-5 and five in one-run games, which is really unfortunate because you win two of those, you know, you flip two of those results, and we're probably in the top 10 in RPI. Um, but, yeah, I think we, we do, outside of Indiana State, have a better um, non-conference RPI, non-conference strength of schedule than those other teams. And, you know, there's still a conference tournament to be played. Uh, and by winning the regular season and the conference tournament, that might be a differentiator as well if some of these other teams can't finish off their season as strong. Uh, Jay on Facebook says, AAC games today and Saturday, lots of opportunities for seedings to flip. UCF and Wichita State are playing a doubleheader today, deciding third and fourth place. If we finish with two wins versus USF, we may play them in the first round. I guess he's talking about USF there, yeah. Uh, so right now, right, Tulane has the – or USF has the tiebreaker over Tulane. So if you if ECU sweeps USF, there's a very good chance um, that we could see Tulane if Tulane doesn't win a game against Memphis. Now, if Tulane wins one – and ECU sweeps USF, you're going to see USF for a fourth straight time, most likely. So, uh, I tell you what, let's take our second break. We'll get into the conference tournament discussion, how much that's going to mean towards the hosting mix, and also maybe talk about some more of these teams that ECU is competing with for a hosting spot. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Drink up me, hearty Joe 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the 94.3 The Game studios. I'm joined by Jonathan Wagner and Scott Lorbatcher. It is our ECU baseball roundtable. It's the best time of the year. And again, we'll be live on the podcast Monday night at 9 o'clock. And who knows, we may be doing this again next week, heading into the uh, the end of the conference tournament on 94.3 The Game because like all the seeding, the hosting talk, it's so much fun, guys. And I think the fans love it. And uh, Tony Hicks on YouTube says, Great show today. Gentlemen, in my humble opinion, ECU needs to win straight out to host. No room for any errors. Go Pirates. And I think we kind of agree with that at this point. And uh, going off that, Chuck says, How many games does it take to win the American Athletic Conference Tournament? So if you just win it straight up, if you win every game there, it would take four. It would take three to uh, advance to the conference championship and then once you get to Sunday it's a winner take all which you know there's some different opinion on that because there's two basically regionals that lead to a winner take all championship game Um, but let's talk guys about the pitching situation because how does ECU want to approach this for the conference tournament of course they got to again they got to win every game so you got to win the next game in front of you but you also have to keep in mind the conference tournament starts Tuesday and so Jonathan if you're Cliff Goblin how do you try and strategically plan for that and I guess the good news is you have Garrett Saylor who's kind of slotted in that role now or do you try and work in another starter going into that to that game yeah I think it's a it's a really tough situation because when I look at it I think with the way the ECU is kind of set up I think they would they need to win that first game if they want to win the conference tournament so they need to win on Tuesday that would give them Wednesday off they would come back on Thursday and that sets you up exactly how you are this week pretty much so I think I think Garrett Saylor will go on Tuesday if I had to guess, and obviously there's a lot that can happen in the next two games that we don't know. But I think right now Garrett Saylor probably goes Tuesday. You know, you probably come back with maybe a Danny Beal since he won't pitch again this weekend. And but then I think winning that game is is vital. You have to have everything you can to win that game because then if you can come back on Thursday, you can circle back with Gross, you can circle back with Trey Savage. But I mean. Then even then it becomes an interesting situation with 
you know, how much do you throw them this weekend? Because you're going to need them in a conference tournament, but at the same time, you have to win both this weekend and you have to win the conference tournament, I think. So it's a tough balance. It's a position I'm glad I'm not in. And all the kudos to Cliff Godwin for handling that and Austin Knight. But it's definitely a tough situation, and this weekend we'll be interested to see how they manage it. I'm certainly glad ECU has more pitching depth than the rest of the conference as I watch these other games, specifically watching everybody try to take Houston down. It's just like, man, every team has like two pitchers, and they have one starter and one good reliever, and ECU is very fortunate to to have as many quality guys as they do. And let's be real, guys. They've they've gone through this stretch where they played really good baseball without a 100% Trey Savage, and I think it's important to remember that. Like We still have not seen Trey Savage – go out and throw 100 pitches seven innings since what like early april maybe um if not before then so i think this pitching staff is trending in the right direction scott interested to hear your take on this because again we're looking a little ahead here but your savage will throw saturday if you win the tuesday game in the conference tournament then you you have to come back and obviously you get wednesday off that's the best thing about winning is you get a day off you win tuesday you get wednesday off then you play Thursday. If you win Thursday, you get Friday off and play Saturday to get to the championship. But do you throw your Savage on short rest potentially in that Thursday game, or do you stick with Groves? How would you how would you play that? Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting question because what you don't want to do is get your rotation out of whack for regional weekend either. So if the intent is maybe to get your Savage back on Fridays so that he's ready for game one of a regional then maybe do go ahead and throw Groves, and then he gets some extra rest going into to regional weekend. Um, if the intent is that you want Groves to start on Friday, thinking maybe you're a host and you're playing a, uh, you know, a weaker team in the, in the first game of the regional, then maybe you go root uh, into bullpen like we were doing this weekend, and then uh, you have your rotation set for the next weekend where everybody's on normal rest. But um, you know, personally, I think that's maybe the best route um, and maybe it's matchup based too. If it's Wichita, maybe there's the need for for grows. If it's UCF, then maybe you know you're going to be playing more of a high scoring game where you can score some runs on them, but they're going to score some runs on you too. And you just take your chances with uh, rooting the bullpen. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how it unfolds. And again, you know, if you're Cliff Goblin, I guess you just have to approach us. We got to do everything we can to win today. And figure it out from there, but you know, we're. I think this is what makes baseball discussions so fun. All the different avenues you can take. Let's talk about Jacob Starling, guys, because I got a text yesterday that said, "Hey, don't expect to see Jacob Starling this weekend, most likely." And uh, then he comes off the bench in what the fourth inning, pitch hitting. Then he's making a diving play. Looks like he's a hundred percent. I don't know what to quite make of this this situation, other than I guess he's just dealing with a back, Jonathan. That flares up every now and then and uh you just have to manage it i I don't know how do you handicap this another back injury for ecu yeah i mean add it to the list i mean really when you look at the season and we talked a little bit about this earlier but i don't think this team has been at full health really for a single game this season yeah i mean ryan mccrystal has been dealing with his back all season long i still don't think he's 100 percent. justin wilcox and kind of the same thing and you know just other guys here and there we talked about trey savage but it's tough, and I think this it makes it even more impressive what this team has been able to do. And again, they haven't been full health, and they've had to find ways. Guys have had to step up, and they have. And ECU's still in a position to host. And I think with Jacob Starling, 
he's one of your top bats. You know, I love him in the two hole personally. And but again, without him, guys step up into the two hole. You know, Cunningham comes up, and then other guys have gotten opportunity. Whether it be Dixon Williams, whether it be Nathan Chrisman, or whether it be Connor Rasmussen. And I think we've seen glimpses from, glimpses from each of those guys. So, but Jacob Starling, you, I think he's one of those guys. You need him at full health if you want to win a regional and if you want to go on a run. So, it's an interesting balance. It's one of those things again. If he can play, you're going to have him in the lineup. But at the same time, if it's going to possibly hinder his long-term health this season, then I don't think you can put him in. We talked about, uh, or we haven't talked about the Campbell game really at all, guys. Um, and one of the, the low-key stars of that game, Scott, was Connor Rasmussen off the bench. I just remember him, and I think it was his first or second at bat. Either way, he was way late on two fastballs from – whoever was pitching i think it was run at that time from campbell and i was like oh this guy's gonna get blown away no he can hit but he just didn't seem confident and then he finally gets started early laces that ball in the center field and that kind of got him started and you saw some of the potential he made some nice plays in the field had another hit as well um and as you go down the stretch here we talked about starling but you know now you have another left-handed bent uh, left-handed uh bat off the bench that you can kind of throw in there and maybe add to uh add to your depth there down the stretch here uh scott for sure i think i texted you after he uh he stole second and asked for a replay that he was my new favorite player <laughs> that because was think bold. about think about the gumption as a freshman who has not really played all this year to slide in to know you're safe and to, on a really close play and ask for a replay knowing that if you get it wrong like who knows how that it's gonna um come back to you the next day in, in you know, in practice or after the game in the team meeting. But, yeah, I mean, I think the future is really bright up the middle for ECU with uh, Rasmussen and Chrisman, like, kind of really emerging this year as, as guys off the bench the way that, you know, Starling did early last year and has, you know, turned into a, to a big-time producer. And I think back to that Super Regional when Starling really just turned it on and how many huge at-bats he had. And I don't think that was expected. And maybe Rasmussen is that guy this year that comes up in a clutch spot and gets a big-time hit, maybe gets the ball out of the park and uh, wins a game for us. Yeah, I think it was – you know, I saw him in the preseason just crush one off Josh Gross. I think you did as well, Jonathan. So, oh, yeah. you know, he, we know he can swing it. And I think the future, like you said, like him, Dixon, Williams, and, and Chrisman, like – people ask who's going to step up next year which can be an off-season discussion but like the 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 program's in good hands these guys they may not be playing enough but they're playing a lot but they're developing and they'll they'll improve enough this off-season um and and something else that really improved last night jonathan that has kind of been a uh, sticking point on the the podcast all year as a theme has been the defensive struggles the defensive inconsistency of this baseball team we talked about it It has hurt them a lot in these one-run losses but last night, it was excellent. Barini made a big-time play. Makarevich made a big-time play. Riley Johnson had two great running catches. Lane Hoover had a couple great running catches. Those are the plays that we don't talk about when they win, but those are the plays that ECU has to continue to make to, to get to where they want to go, which is ultimately host a regional. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look back at the season, whether it's pitching, hitting, or defense, I think the hitting has had its inconsistencies, but really I think underlying theme for the struggles – over the past, you know, one easy win on that cold stretch for a couple of weeks, I think a lot of it did have to do with defense. And, you know, let's blame it on the turf fields, but I, I think, you know, the scene last night was good because this team, they have lost games because of their defense. And they have guys on the field that they can win games with their defense. So it's nice to see the other side of it. 
and especially with a pitching staff that's kind of been through its injuries lately and you're just kind of scraping by right now you're trying to get to the end of the season you're trying to win every single game and seeing guys step up when it matters most is really encouraging to me and it, it to me it's a sign that this team might be approaching their best baseball at the perfect time by the way, what a joke that South Florida has a turf infield now. What are we doing, man? You're in Tampa, Florida. You get rain and sunshine, and you you can't have a natural grass and dirt infield. I'm just I'm disgusted. Can't happen. Can't happen, guys. But here we are. Every team in the American now wants to continue to bring in this artificial turf. BS. I just I'm so tired of it, man. All right, let's get our final break before I get off on a tangent. And keep going. Uh, all right, we'll be right back. We'll, we'll conclude with our thoughts on the the series and wrapping up the regular season. Also, what ECU needs to do as we continue to look at the hosting picture. All right, you're listening to Hoist of Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Colors. Back into it, we got Scott Lorbacher, Jonathan Wagner, and is our final segment, ECU Baseball Roundtable. I uh, got a couple comments to get to. Before we do that, just want to say uh, like, comment, and subscribe on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Again, we ask you guys to do this all the time on Hoist the Colors. Most of you have done it. Now we're asking you to go to a different <laughs> YouTube and Facebook page, 94.3 The Game. You can uh, type it into YouTube. We also got it linked on the Hoist the Colors account. But not only are you going to get our roundtables on Monday night on the Hoist the Colors YouTube page, but you're going to get our daily show of Hoist the Colors where not only we're doing this, but we're talking ECU sports as a whole. You'll get that update every time we go live. Uh, And since that, we've gotten three thumbs up on YouTube. So keep that coming. It helps our numbers. Uh, Our subscribers have really grown. We started this page from scratch on 94.3 and we're already up to 150 subscribers in just a couple weeks. Also, of course, you can catch the Patrick Johnson show uh, live at 5 o'clock every day as well. And he has a ton of great guests uh, on his show, too. So a uh, lot of good comments coming in. Mark Calloway, who always tunes into our podcast, he says, good show, guys. Go Pirates. Uh, the Sports Objective says, uh, in regards to the, the discussion about how many games do you need to win, for the conference tournament he does make a fair point uh i assume it's a he with the sports objective account he says four straight without losing five if you lose so yeah if you lose in the uh and fall into the loser bracket you're gonna have to win five games like let's say, let's say you lose that first game you're gonna have to win four in a row to force the winner to take all and then win a fifth game so much more optimal path is winning the four games i don't know if anybody has ever won five to win the ac tournament there's a lot of baseball to win in a short amount of time uh, Jack Dover with a great point. He says, it's just funny how Houston losing has such a big impact on our hosting chances. And that that's kind of the funny thing, Scott. Like, ECU could have won these games, and if Houston wins as well, like, nobody notices. But just because Cincinnati hit a grand slam and beat Houston in what otherwise would be a meaningless college baseball game in May, now ECU is in a much better situation. I guess it's all about perception, right? For sure, it's how many how many little extra badges can you have on your resume to differentiate yourself when the margins are so thin? You know, calling yourself a regular season and tournament conference champion is a differentiator, and now we are we are in position to do that, and it's just left out there for us to go do it. 
Uh, Johnny Robertson, our stat guy on Facebook, says last season Texas A&M was number 22 RPI and hosted. In 21, Florida was number 20, and Louisiana Tech was number 27 RPI's host. And I believe, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, A&M won the West Division of the SEC. So here we go again with the, you know, you win one of the best divisions in college baseball, you're going to get that host. I'm not sure about Florida. And I assume La Tech was a Conference USA or uh, some, some sort of champion that year as well. Um, I can't even keep up with the conferences anymore, but La Tech's in CUSA, right? They are. Yep. So, like you again, you have to have the, kind of that badge to 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 host. I think if you're going to be not in the top 16. So, again, guys, as we wrap up this discussion, about a minute left. Uh, Jonathan, you feel like two wins and a uh, a conference tournament championship is on the way for ECU. If you had to to make a pick. Well, it's crazy. I mean, yesterday on my way home, I was kind of thinking, you know, if we lose this game, you know, at least we don't have to have the same discussion. It's like we, we're not hosting. Like, I want them to host, but I didn't think they would. And I woke up this morning, like I said, and I kind of feel like they do. And I do think they win the last two games. I just think ECU is a far better team. And I think ECU's pitching is set up to win the AAC tournament if they stay in the winner's bracket. If they lose the first game, if they lose the second game, I don't think they win. But I think if they can win the first two games, then I think ECU will win the conference tournament as well. All right, Scott, a few seconds. Make your pick. Does ECU win the regular season title? Uh, yes, 100% chance of trophies. There you go, 100% chance of trophies hoisting the trophies. Uh, we'll see if the Pirates can get it done. I don't even know if they have a regular season trophy to hoist, but we'll, we'll pretend that they do. Uh, all right, guys, this has been fun. Again, check us out Monday night at 9 o'clock. We'll be back with more. Uh, Jonathan Wagner, Scott Lorbatcher, this was our Hoist the Colors ECU Baseball Roundtable on 94.3 The Game. We'll be back with you Monday at 12 noon to recap the weekend that was for ECU Athletics. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back Monday with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.